Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, a Kens 5 podcast on the San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball. I'm your host, digital executive producer Jackson Floyd, and joining me today is weekend sports anchor Evan Klosky. What up? Hey, we're live in the Kins 5 newsroom today talking about the fact that we just witnessed the Spurs' first three-game winning streak. Woohoo! Since the first three games of the season, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes, Evan, it feels like all we do is win, right? Yeah, except when we don't. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then we got to talk about some things. Yes, but now all we have to do is talk about the win, starting with Miami when we won 107 to 102. And DeMar DeRozan had nearly a triple-double there mm-hmm. in that game. Uh, just another standout performance. He keeps it going. He This is another one of these in the a long line of just exceptional play from him. Efficient play, too. Yeah, I mean, going back to the Miami game... You know, a lot was at stake there. The Spurs come off a, a, just a terrible loss, which we've already discussed in our last podcast, to the Hawks. Uh, yeah. and, and you wonder, um, you always wonder if losses like that are sometimes needed. Uh, and you wonder if maybe if they don't lose to the Hawks, maybe that trickles over and they finally do lose to the Heat. So that's a little bit in play. But uh, DeMar DeRozan, tremendous. Uh, and, he, and I believe the Heat game was when the streak died, right? That's of when not the shooting. Died. So that was a thing is that DeMar really didn't have – he missed continuing his streak, which was shooting 50% or above, um, at least three assists and 20 points a game, and he missed it by a bucket. But he, even in that game, he didn't – he didn't seem like he was dominating. And then you looked at the box scores like, holy crud, he's got a near triple-double. But, um, you know, this was a game where the Spurs had Miami on the ropes in Miami, just shot like crud. And then this game, they pieced it together late, figured it out. Uh, you know, I believe... I'm from kind of forgetting. Did Marco have a big shot in that game? He did. You know he did. Yeah. So, (laughs) look, we'll get to more on Marco when we get to the Pelicans game because he is defensive. I, I I will never defend his defense. But he's been clutched this year. They say the best defense is a good offense. So uh. I'm just saying, like, I mean, that was, he's racked up of, uh, you know, you go to this game where he had a clutch shot. You go to Toronto game where he hit the big three at the top uh, of the three-point line, I think, to give him a two-point lead and finally give them a push. I think it was the Kings game earlier in the yeah. season that forced overtime. Then they ended up winning that game when they were slipping and sliding right before they finally got a big break. Um, so... And he was a big part of the December, too. He shot exceptionally well in December, you know, when they started turning the tide after that November losing streak. They Mm -hmm. lost eight straight. He started shooting a little bit better. Not that that was the reason things shifted. We talked a little bit about LaMarcus Aldridge kind of learning to take a step back. But he's had strong performances throughout the season. Yeah, and you know what? Screw it. We'll just go right ahead to the Pelicans (laughs) game. We will bob and weave through games where the the narratives seem appropriate. But Marco then hit a big shot in that Pelicans game. Zion Williamson taking over, and who's the one that – that stopped it all. It was Marco's three-pointer that yeah. got them back to lead, and then they kept it for good. So I think Pop here is really trying to figure out his fourth-quarter rotations, and I think time and time again, Marco's proving to be of an asset down the stretch, at least shooting-wise. And I think all Spurs fans have to recognize, okay, at the beginning of the year, and I've kind of said this in the last podcast too, we all jumped down Marco's throat, and rightfully so. He was playing like garbage, (laughs) but he has not for the past month. He has been shooting well. His defense is never going to be a huge thing, but he's He's bringing valuable minutes these days, and you have to recognize that you cannot be stubborn. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of, we've talked about it a little bit before, and 
past podcasts too, but that's kind of the Spurs wave. You're going to put together a streak of wins. You're going to need role players like Bellinelli or mm-hmm. Patty Mills, or, you know, sometimes it's going to be a Derek White game. That's how they're going to take the take the lead in some of these games and start putting a streak together. Uh, in this Heat game, it was Becky Hammond who had the assist. Um, yeah, and I will say uh, Becky Hammond got the headlines. <laughs> uh, you know, Will Hardy also was doing his part because if you watch the video – and maybe explain the situation first before I go into it. Oh, yeah, of course. So, I mean, it's a close game. I can't remember if it was three-point or five. It was a five-point game at this point in time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jimmy Butler is driving down the lane, and I believe, was it DeMar DeRozan who fouled him? Uh, Um, Potentially fouled him? Yeah, Um, it was at the top of the, I think so. Kind of, you know, pushed the arms in there. Regardless, he gets fouled. Um, He takes about, I don't know, two steps after the foul, Puts a layup up. Uh, the refs give him the continuation. That basket counts. Mm-hmm. He's going for an and one. Um, there was some contention as to whether or not the Spurs should use the coach's challenge there. Initially, the Spurs don't. Um, it's the assistant coaches who come to coach Greg Popovich. And uh, that the narrative is persuaded him to, to reconsider taking the coach's challenge there. They use it. Uh, Spolstra from the heat bench comes over and says, wait, they took way too long mm-hmm. to take this challenge. They shouldn't be able to get the challenge there. Regardless, the Spurs get the challenge in. The call's overturned. It's just two free throws. Uh, and that saves them well, an, an extra and, basket there. And what ended up happening was uh, the Heat inbounds That's the what ball. Was, yeah, was Butler then gets to the line, and then he makes two free I think two he made both those, free yeah. throws. So it saved them a point, but still uh, very valuable nonetheless. And, um, you know, Will Hardy's over there. If you you know, Becky is, is kind of like, Pop was like, no, I'm not doing it. And then Becky kind of walks over and then stops and says, you know what, I'm going to do it. And then you just hear Will, Will Hardy going, Pop, let's do it. Pop, let's do it. Pop, let's do it. And he's like, it's like, come on, dude. And he's like, ah, oh, fine. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's just like, you know, it's good. It, he, Pop can be stubborn, but he's also listening to his assistant coaches, and they made that call, and he trusted them. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that Becky Hammond is getting the headlines here, and a lot of people are saying, hey, man, Becky Hammond is really ready to be a head coach. Look at how she took charge in this. Do you think Will Hardy is in that same vein? Do you think eventually he's going to get a chance to, to be in that conversation? Is Maybe he's ready for a head coaching position. Yeah, Will Hardy's got some time to go. I mean, Will Hardy, this is his first year on the bench, moving up next mm-hmm. to Pop at least. So I imagine Hardy is being groomed long-term for the Spurs organization, and then you know things work out for him and figuring out who's you know next in line. I don't know what, what his future is going to hold, yeah. but you figure if it's going to be a head coach, it probably won't be in San Antonio. But nonetheless, uh, Becky's been around a long time, so she certainly has the reps to earn that respect. Um, so I, I think that was just something – it was a good spot by the assistant coaches. Yeah. They called it out, and, and you have the, the challenge statistics. Yeah, I think it's interesting that Pop was so hesitant to take the challenge here to Zubernaut because the Spurs, when they decide to use it, use it effectively well. Ten times this season, including the Heat game, 70, 70% success rate on this challenge is – the league average is 45%. So the Spurs are doing exceptionally well at picking yeah. the right times to challenge a call – uh, and, and when they do challenge it, it turns out to be in their favor here. Yeah, and uh, just quickly going back to that Miami game, uh, Patty Mills on Indigenous Night mm-hmm. was spectacular. I believe 18 points. Yep, he had 18 points, four three-pointers. Um, he was a spark plug again off the bench. Cannot say more great things about Patty. Say what you will about his defense, but when you provide the offense that he does, everything else kind of equals out, and he – he has been one of the few players all season long that has sort of had that positive net rating mm-hmm. uh, when his units are on the court. And sometimes that could be misleading, like uh, earlier in the season when Marco would have a positive net rating and that was just piggybacking off some 
other great play from yeah. others. Uh, Patty is a big reason why that's all happening. This is his career year, right? I mean, this is the sort best. Of, yeah. yeah, I mean, it is. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. Mm-hmm. But so far, I mean, th- this is the best pinnacle career year that he's had uh, mm-hmm. in his d- decade with the Spurs here. Yeah. Uh, turning our attention then to the the Phoenix Suns game, uh, a narrow win there, 120 to 118. Probably shouldn't have been this close. Uh, but credit Bryn Forbes and Derek White, 12 three-pointers between them. Uh, the Spurs PR staff said, hey, that's the second time mm-hmm. in Spurs history that two players have had 12 threes between them, citing uh, a team with Chuck Person in the 80s. Uh, I do want to shout out, too, that you know in the playoffs in 2013, Danny Green and Gary Neal did it, too. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's three yeah. times, maybe it's two times. But still, a great performance from both of those from behind the line there to, to propel the offense. Yeah, and... <laughs> You know, the Bryn Forbes. Oh, uh, one other thing, by the way, yeah. uh, with the Heat game, uh, the Klosky threshold hit. There we, we go. We, so we were on a losing streak there of two games, and then finally we got the six-plus assists from DeMar, the 20 points from LaMarcus, and then the two or more threes from Patty, which gave us the dub. And that's what we needed for the threshold. So uh, I'm going to build a website. Did we cross the ClassicThreshold.com? <laughs> uh, every Spurs game, we're going to check it out. You know, you yeah. can go to the WWW, whatever it is, and uh, it'll be either yes or no. Yeah. And, uh, the result there. And, and, you know, again, it's, it's not that it's bulletproof, but it just gives you a guide because even in a game like the Suns game, you know, Patty hit zero threes. So usually that's a losing proposition. But when Bryn comes out and hits eight, that mitigates what you need from from uh, Patty. So, uh, you know, the, the biggest troubling thing in this game was, you know, the Spurs sort of been, been on the opposite end of this, but they hit. Uh, how many? They hit 17 three-pointers versus eight from the Suns, yeah. and they won by two. Now, yeah. usually that's how the Spurs have been losing. Like, man, if they could just hit a couple more threes, they'd, they'd rattle off some things. So, I mean, it, it kind of goes to show you how badly they played defensively, especially in the second half and in the fourth quarter. We're going to talk about that fourth quarter here in a minute. But first, I just want to say, I mean, Bryn Forbes needed a night like this, right? He'd yeah. been in a slump. Yeah. Uh, and you've uh, you've kind of been uh, one of the people talking about the slump here for Forbes. Uh, do you do you have anything you want to add to it after a game like this? Well, first, let me uh, let me pull up the, the Forbesian stats that I have uh, that I sent you. And I don't know if you have the, the email ready on uh, not you. Not on me, no. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to find it here. Uh, nonetheless, I can try and go off memory here but uh, I'll give you some some peace of mind what I was thinking uh so before that Suns game it has been very notable that Bryn Forbes has been struggling this entire season uh when you dig into the numbers he's almost up to the same amount of games he has failed to hit double digit points as he did all of last season uh even when you include the playoffs so consistency has been a big problem for Bryn Forbes but when you look at his three or more three-point games He's actually outpacing last year. So that's sort of the difference with Bryn. Um, I think, and then you, you put the Suns game in. Uh, I think he's now, uh, he's, if the season were to end and he would be on the same sort of trajectory, he'd be around 36 to 37 games where he hit three or more three-pointers. That is stellar. That's awesome. That's what you're looking for. The only problem is, is he's hot or cold. Yeah. The Pelicans game, we actually got a game where he hit two three-pointers. You know, he hit in that middle range of, like, I'm not nothing, yeah. but I provided something. Lukewarm Bryn. Yeah, yeah. like, ele- you know, 11 points. Yeah. He hit 11 points. He had two threes. Just the little contributions here and there is what, when you're having a bad night, those should be the Bryn Forbes bad nights. Yeah. Two three-pointers, 11 points, um, and you just take whatever. But the problem is, are the nights where he hits zero and one, and he 
with his defense can ill afford to be a donut. You just that's the whole thing with Marco at the beginning of the season. If you can't shoot, you are worthless to the operation. Yeah. Because that is the sole thing you are bringing to the table. If you can't bring that to the table, I, I, I've got no use for you. Yeah. And that's and that's the tug of war. So I come out. I have all these stats. I've looked them all <laughs> up. And and I just you know you don't need to be bogged down by the numbers. I, I've you know, gave you the cliff notes. They're on uh, kins5.com, they, by the uh, way. Yes, and I did post them to Twitter. But nonetheless, that night he comes out and gives me the old middle finger uh, <laughs> and hits seven in the first half. <laughs> it's like, holy crap. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, th- that's the thing is, and that's where the Spurs are really stuck. Uh, I don't I don't know if Bryn Forbes is going to be in the long-term plans, but that's why it's so tough yeah. when we have the Bryn Forbes debate because, yes, he's been – a lot of nights he's just been nothing, but then there are nights where he gives you three or more threes and like these just spectacular heat, uh, heat checks, yeah. and it, that's invaluable. It just that makes them so much better, and that's what they need on the team. And it's hard to find for free yeah. what they got on the run. So it just. I mean, it's something that the Spurs had with Danny Green. He was the icy hot 1.0 for this kind of new look Spurs. What Danny Green did, though, was play defense. He was underrated as a transition defender, as a perimeter defender. Bryn's not the the Danny Green on the defensive side. Uh, A guy who is pretty good at perimeter defense is Derek White, though. He lacks a little bit of the offensive skill that Bryn brings, um, but he had a tremendous game against uh, the Phoenix, and he continued that in the Pelicans. And in fact, in these last three games, 20 assists, two turnovers. Pretty stellar ball handling by him, playmaking by him, but he's bringing it on the offensive side too. Look, it is no surprise right now that the Spurs are having their best basketball with Derek White playing his best basketball. Mm-hmm. He looks healthy. He's doing everything that we thought he was going to do coming off of Team USA when he made that great run to be on the roster. This is what Derek does best when he is aggressive, when he's using the pick and roll. Uh, he... He just gives this team so much stability, and that's why last year, too, if you remember, this team went as Derek White went. At at about this exact same time, too, is when he got hot in the January run year. And and the thing is, he's not necessarily doing it all with points. He's doing it with dimes, too, Mm -hmm. and and maintaining control of the ball. I mean, he is just so smart out there, and he has easily been the most consistent player during this. I mean, DeMar offensively is certainly amazing but when you talk about a two-way player what Derek has been doing offensively and then turning that into defense I mean I can give you example after example of just stuff that he does you know there was a time uh, last night against the Pelicans where Brandon Ingram was sizing up Derek White down to the post and White just I mean he he fought him off Ingram couldn't get an easy layup did a turnaround jumper and contested it I mean it was just and that's that's could be an all-star right there Brandon Ingram so I'm just so impressed with what he's doing. And if he plays like this, he is a huge, huge problem for other teams, especially in that second unit. And there is one thing that is very clear. Pop is trying to figure out his go-to fourth quarter rotation. He is not worried about Derek White. That is one guy that will 1,000% be in the game down a stretch at the end because he has proven time and time again that only defensively does he step up, but offensively he makes great decisions. He seems to be the in vogue guy, too, when Spurs fans are like, hey, why isn't this guy playing enough? You know, it was Lonnie Walker for a while. Now it's Derek White, specifically when talking about playing alongside DeJounte Murray. Mm-hmm. And that's still, I think, the trump card that the Spurs haven't put on the, the table yet. You know, is the, the lineup that... I mean, they're playing a little bit. You know, they had a couple minutes we, here and there. We saw it last we night. We saw it last night. It, yep. it, you know, 
it had mixed results, I think, but it, mm-hmm. it's a very strong defensive lineup. Uh, they're both decent ball handlers. I think White at this point in time is a better ball handler and playmaker than Murray. Murray's got some work to do there, but I mean, I, I, I think you know he, you're going to see that come out more. And yeah. Pop mentioned that a few months ago. We're starting to see how he can find ways to play these two. The and, and I will say something that I noticed late in the game when White and Murray were on the court. So White and Murray go. They have an offensive possession. I believe Murray was kind of in the middle of the muck. Uh, bad possession, no bucket. Pelicans go back the other way. I don't know if they made or missed a shot, yeah. but then the Spurs were coming back. And I, you could see Pop yelling at Murray, like, get, get out, space. I don't want you anywhere near the ball. Yeah. White is leading the charge, and that's the thing that Murray has, that it looks like in the fourth quarter, is that, hey, if I'm going to put you out in these lineups, mm-hmm. White's running the show, not you. Yeah. I need you spacing. I need you out there in the corner, essentially playing the role that I think fans want Lonnie Walker to do down the stretch. Mm-hmm. So, hey, I need you out there, and... You're not the point guard when Derek's in down a stretch. He's my guy. So that's something that, to me, I mean, you know, I don't take anything, I don't take moves like that lightly because DeJounte's the one that forced Pop's hands to take Tony Parker out of the lineup. And I know how valuable Murray is to the operation, to the organization, especially long term. They paid him. Mm -hmm. You know, he's going to be here. So they got to make sure he's happy. And the fact is, it just shows you how much trust they have in Derek White that he's earned those those late roll minutes to yeah. be like, you're my guy, you're my commander. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the fourth quarter because, I mean, the, the Suns did have uh, a, a big run against the Spurs in the fourth quarter. But I think we've put it off too long. The fourth quarter we can also address in this New Orleans game. Yeah. Um, the Pelicans game, the Zion game. You know, the Spurs spoil his debut, his return back to the court. It's your fault. It's my fault, and we'll yeah. talk about that in a little bit. Uh, the Spurs won 121-117. Uh, this is a game that going into the third quarter, the Spurs had won. Uh, going into the fourth quarter, the Spurs had won every single quarter, and then suddenly it's the Zion Williams show for a, a flash there for a four-minute yeah. stretch, 17 straight points for his team. I mean, Zion Williamson's an amazing, amazing talent, and it's just so funny to watch that game because he was playing four-minute spurts, and then they were taking him out as pretty much load management, yeah. minute restriction, whatever you want to call it. And the first three quarters, Zion could not have looked any more out of place. Just, you know, and that's expected. Look, everyone else is in midseason form. You're joining a team that has been figuring it out. That's why I like the Spurs in this game because yeah. when you throw someone new into the mix, you have to figure out how everything is going to work. How are we – like, it's not – like, people just think – like, oh, throwing Zion makes him so much better. Long term, yeah. yes. But in the short term, everyone had their roles. And now people have to take a little bit away from their roles or space differently. They're, like you, It's a team. It, it's, it's hard to necessarily explain without seeing video of it. But nonetheless, throwing him into the mix, he was confused on what to do. He was confused where to be and where the spacing was, where to attack. He was certainly hesitant, especially defensively. Yeah. He looked a little out of shape. Uh, which you know, which is going to happen when you're sitting all season yeah. long, and you know, game shape is different than just running on the treadmill or whatever it might be, or your biometrics. I don't, you know, and he had a torn meniscus, so he couldn't even run that yeah. much. So you know, people are kind of attacking his weight, like get out of here. You know, I, I get it; it's a concern long term, but you know, the guy had a torn meniscus. What do you want him to do? He can all he can do is put up jumpers and yeah. and you know, upper body. So. Um, but look, what the Spurs did, and I think they should have probably contested a little bit better, but they were so afraid of Zion driving to the basket and just wrecking them inside that they said, you know what, the weak part of your game is shooting three-pointers. Go. Go ahead. Hit the threes on us. And that's what he did. I mean, <laughs> just, I don't know when the next time Zion is going to 
hit four of four of his first three-pointers yeah. in a game. No. Like, I, you know, I really don't know when that is going to happen again. Sometimes you have to just tip your cap, and I think the Spurs, again, could have maybe tried to put a little pressure on him because he was feeling himself. At some point, you have to react. Yeah. Like, you have to get him off the heat check. And that's even if you make him dribble drive and, and whatever, at least he's not getting back-to-back-to-back looks at the same spot. And um, I, I really just think that was something you tip your cap to. I think everyone was freaking out. I'm more worried about the offensive end. That's what they've been doing in these fourth quarters is offensively they've been wasting possessions. They've been getting caught up in it. It's like, you know, if a Zion goes off or a Devin Booker in an eight and go off, that's what they're going to do. It's the NBA, okay? No leads are safe. And in the fourth quarter, the best players come to play. They are highly locked in. They now have a goal. They know how much they're down. They know how much they're up. It's just a different mentality. So, don't be shocked when the best player on the floor is playing like the best player. It's just the fact is the Spurs have to answer that stuff. And they didn't for a little bit there, but they got it going. And they, they did figure it out. DeMar answered a lot. Yeah. Uh, Marco hit that big shot to kind of calm everyone down. And then, they you know, DeMar and LaMarcus kind of cooked. Uh, took over, and that's what they yeah. need to do. And there's a couple of big shots from Derek White there, too. Um, yeah, I mean, in 43 games this season, San Antonio has entered the fourth quarter with a lead 21 times now. And 12 of those, they've been outscored in the fourth. And they're mm-hmm. six and seven now, 13 now, I guess, yeah. when you include Pelicans. So they're six and seven of those games. So, I mean, yeah, sometimes they do enough in the fourth quarter, even with being outscored, to, to, to propel themselves to, to a victory, like they did against Phoenix, New Orleans. But, I mean, it, at some point in time, they've got to, like you said, come together in the fourth quarter, start putting together some meaningful possessions, stop wasting some possessions. Uh, and that comes down, I think, to rotations as they're figuring this mm-hmm. out. There will be a rotation in the last 20 games of the season that is the go-to fourth quarter rotation. Uh, and we'll see if that continues in the playoffs, too, if the Spurs get there. Yeah. That's going to be the go-to rotation there. So uh, I'm not concerned long-term. But I do think it's kind of hurt them in some of these games they should have won where they had a lead going to the fourth. That's why the record is where it is right now. Uh, pretty much. And, and, you know, again, you know, I think they're they're 9-6 and six in their last uh, 15. Last 15, yeah. So um, they're doing a lot of things right. And the problem is the Spurs are just not built to be a team that crushes you. Yeah. I mean, think back. Like, even one way or the other. I mean, we can go back. The last game that was an easy one to watch was the Pistons home game, I think. Yeah. And then going back again, the Memphis yeah, game one. on the road where they just couldn't by miss. 35, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, they're not going to do that again. Uh, and then, you know, they got blown out by the Clippers once. They got blown out by the Pistons. All in all, this whole season has been tight. Yeah. I mean, even when they were stinking, they just couldn't figure out a way to get out of the muck of losing these close games in the fourth quarter and allowing a team to push away. Uh, They're figuring it out. They're figuring it out. They have some personnel issues they're trying to overcome yeah. and you're seeing that with the change in the offense you know it's no you know again we said it's no surprise that Derek White and the team is elevating at the same time well it's no surprise the team's elevating LaMarcus moving to the three-point line and DeMar commanding the paint uh, credit the Pelicans because the Pelicans and the Raptors did this in the same in the first half in mm. both of their games where they just said they stuffed the paint they said we ain't gonna move DeMar you ain't coming in here and we're just gonna stop you now, that's the thing is what happened was LaMarcus took off, and that's the risk you run. And you got to remember that LaMarcus is still an all-star type of talent. So when you do that, you let LaMarcus try to take the games over, and sometimes he shows up like last night where he was taking all those. And I said on Twitter, you know, he had one of those games where you're yelling at the TV like, don't shoot that, <laughs> and then he just hits them all. Yes. And it's like, ah, oh, dude, it's like whatever. You're having one of those nights. 
He's still statistically, now that he can be counted as the three-point guy, one of the top, if not the top three-point shooter in the league. So, I mean, I think it's just under 50% right now, 49%. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, you, you let him take those shots. And uh, if Zion Williamson is going to have moments in the fourth quarter like that, you let him take the shots too. Uh, I tweeted th- two and a half quarters into this uh, with Zion Williamson uh, playing the way he was. I said, Zion, more like Zion. <laughs> Cheekily knowing that you know, <laughs> at some point in time he's probably going to explode. And, of course, he did 17 points in the fourth quarter. When he puts on spurts like that, He's going to make a run at Rookie of the Year, right? I mean, he's missed 42 games, but the buzz that came in after all of that, the hype that came in of that, I mean, that's got to propel him to the Rookie of the Year status, right? Uh, you know, the hype is one thing. John Moran's got it for me. Uh, John Moran has been here all year. He's been exceptional. He really has. And that's not to say that Zion Williamson might not on paper be a better talent than John Moran, but Rookie of the Year isn't based on who I think is the better talent. It's who had the best year, and Zion's going to be on minutes restriction for another, what, 10 games or so at least? I mean, what were they doing with DeJounte? It should be a very similar run to that. I mean, 20 minutes a game, you won't play back-to-backs. So we're going to see what he's got, which is nice. It's going to propel him to a great second year, but, uh, you know, he'll be in the running. He will certainly emerge as probably the second option as long as he's healthy all the way through. But John Morant's my guy, and that that's not going to change unless he maybe gets injured or dramatically falls off, which isn't going to happen. I, I just I have to go Ja, and I'm not going to change that uh, based on one game. I'm not going to change that based on 20 games, whatever he does. The number one thing to take away with Zion Williamson is he is exactly who we think he is. Yeah. He is a tremendous talent, and if he hits three-pointers— you are going to lose games. There's no way around it. It's like when LeBron hits three-pointers. When LeBron hits three-pointers, what the heck are you going to do to stop this guy? There is nothing stopping him. So you just have to take the L. You know, there are certain players where you just have to take the L. Yeah. And Zion has the potential to be one of them when he stretches the floor. It's it's funny you bring up LeBron James because watching the the defense in the fourth quarter during that 17-point stretch for Zion Williamson, the defense is doing things very reminiscent to what they did in 2014 in the NBA Finals against LeBron. You know, you don't want to give him the paint. You're going to let him do the shots, take the outer shots, outside shots there. And that's what the defense is doing against Zion Williamson. He's not getting the paint, takes the threes. He makes them. You live with it. That, and that's sometimes what fans have to understand is like, you go, challenge him, challenge him. And it's like, okay, if you challenge him too much, all he's going to do is dribble around you and dunk it. Yeah. Like, I'd rather him shoot the three than dunk it. And, yeah. then, you know, talk about probabilities. You just have to live with the results sometimes. These are the best players in the world. Sometimes they're going to wow you. And that's what Zion did in the fourth quarter. And just be thankful that he stunk it up for three quarters. Because, I mean, he had five turnovers. Like, literally, the Spurs were dominating pretty much in those minutes with Zion in because he was just a mess. And it's no offense to him. He just, I mean, that's, he's rusty. And, I mean, it was just spectacular to see that fourth quarter. It was. It it gave me hope to see him play more minutes in the future yeah. you know, and see what he can be. So just to recap where we are now in the season then, the Spurs have 20 wins. They are 9-6 and six in the last 15, as you mentioned. Currently the eighth seed. It's still pretty tight there. I think half a game above Memphis. Yeah. Uh, Portland is lurking there. And then we'll see what happens with the Zion Williams show in New Orleans. If they can make a run here, you know, it, it means to be seen. Uh, I just want to say, by the way, Vegas had the Spurs wins at set at, for the over-under at 45 and a half. Yeah, they're not going to hit that. Trending to the under right now, yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty safe that they're going to be the under there. I mean, uh, we said before this nine-game stretch, before the rodeo road trip, the Spurs had to go seven and two during that stretch to get back to five hundred. 
they're on pace. I know that that Hawks loss is just going to be like, God, they should be undefeated. But look, I, I, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, sometimes if that wasn't the loss, another loss would have peaked up. You have to be super excited that the team turned around against the Heat, went to the Suns back-to-back, and won that game without Rudy Gay, by the way. Yeah. I'm not saying Rudy Gay is a, a world builder, but I always said when you were taking players out of the rotation, putting them in the rotation, there is inherently uh, some murkiness there. You have to figure it out a little bit. So the fact that kind of the Spurs handled it in stride was very encouraging. Gay only played nine minutes last night. I think he's still dealing with the flu. He looked a little sluggish. Yeah, I think he's getting his wind back, and he's been sick. He, again, game shape, all that stuff. So uh, I think Pop just kind of took it easy on him. Marco's been playing pretty well, so I think he said, screw it, I'm going to play Marco. He looks fine. I mean, yeah. why push Rudy if I don't have to? Yeah, the, the, the only guy on the court who looked slower than Rudy last night was Zion. But, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> he's figuring that out. So next for the Spurs, they got the Suns, mm-hmm. Raptors, Bulls, and Jazz, and then the roadie road trip is looming right around the corner, yep. February 3rd. That was kind of the, the pit of despair they fell into last year. Uh, we'll see what happens with the roadie road trip this year. Uh, we're going to take a look around the NBA real quick, mm-hmm. but first a quick break. So, Evan, a few things I want to point out from around the NBA. Uh, ha- highlights, stats that have been brought up in the last mm-hmm. week. The first is uh, Giannis's, uh, Giannis's uh, goat trajectory that he's on right now. Goat trajectory. Uh, first player in NBA history with 10,000 points, 4,000 rebounds, 2,000 assists through that age 25 season. Uh, that stat comes from the ringers, Zach Cram. Uh, LeBron was close to doing it. Uh, Kevin Garnett was a little bit closer. Um, do you think this is pushing Giannis? If we can keep this up for a, you know 10 more years, 12 more years, is he the greatest of all time? Uh, he'll be in the discussion. You know, it's always tough when you're in the, the middle of it to know yeah. exactly what happens. And especially for Giannis, before we can even get into that, I need him to win a championship. So, you know, you think that this year could be the year, but he's got to do that. I mean, last year, Giannis was the same type of dude, and then the playoffs happened, and he kind of hit a snag. Team figured out how to limit him, and other players had to step up, and, you know, so it be. But, um, yeah, I mean, he is a freakish athlete. I mean, we're watching LeBron James, who is going to go down as one of the best, right next to Michael Jordan. Yeah. You can you can pick Jordan. I, I really don't care. I, that debate is so worthless to me. Jordan, LeBron, whatever order you have, it's greatness. So they do things that just transcend your mind and what players should do at that size. Giannis, he is just this unbelievably talented lengthy human which like the fact that he does what he does on a basketball court like i don't know how in the world you stop that you can try to limit it but the milwaukee bucks have just done such a good job building around Giannis and Giannis developing his game to a level where he can also live outside it's like i mean the modern nba's dream and like just that you do you can't teach that body yeah it's insane uh, I mean, I, I, like you said, there's a whole lot more basketball for Giannis in the future, and championships are going to weigh into this. Like, LeBron James at this point in time was still a Cleveland Cavalier. He'd lost already in the finals to the Spurs. Um, there was some thought maybe he's not going to get there with the Cavs. Is, is he staying with the Cavs yeah. long term? Uh, at this point in time, he still had his Miami years ahead, his return to Cleveland, and of course, you know, now he's in L.A., and he's not as great as he is, but of course he's also 33. But here's the, th- you know? here's the thing, LeBron... That's the thing about LeBron's greatness. He's having such a sneaky good year. Like, this year, he is just going to take the assist title. Yeah. 
Like, I was I was logging clips. You know, I was looking back and writing down names so that we can go back into our archive system and find it easily. Uh, and I was actually going back to the Lakers game when they were here. LeBron got a rebound, and like a quarterback dropped a dime to Avery Bradley. Front, like it was a half court pass, and the Spurs. I forget who was defending it and running back. It was like right there. Yeah, and just. I, he, what he does is still unbelievable to me, and he is still performing at unbelievable levels. Maybe he's not stealing the headlines because, honestly, we're so used to it now. Yeah. But his game evolves still to this day to where he is, like, effortlessly putting up his stat lines. Yeah. It's and nuts. The crazy thing is me, too, is, like, throughout his entire career, he could have always taken the assist leader title if he wanted to. You know, yeah. if he wants to step back on the offensive side, if he wants to be more of that distributor. Uh, in the first few years of his career, he was kind of knocked as being more of a distributor and not taking that final clutch yeah. killer instinct shot. Um, and who knows? I mean, we've seen careers like Garnett's, too, kind of derailed by injury. You know, he, mm-hmm. he had a, a great second half of his career, but he always had that lingering back. I'm not saying Giannis is someone who's going to get injured, but in bigger bodies like that, injuries can sometimes derail some things. So, And I mean, and let me tell you this, when Giannis gets into the full muck of it, I mean, last year was, or maybe a couple of years, yeah. you know, he's just been getting into the stretch of, like, you know, full season, playoffs, short break, you know, back to training camp, regular season, playoffs, short break. That grows on you, you know, like yeah. uh, LeBron getting injured last year. might have been a blessing in disguise to finally give his body a, a dang break after playing in all of those championships. The Warriors this year and all those injuries might be a blessing in disguise to give Clay and Steph and Draymond a break this year from that action. Yeah. It also reminds you of how amazing the Spurs are to continually go to the playoffs, have these long seasons, especially in the, the peak of the Spurs with you know Tim Tony Manu and to just do it over and over and over again it's not easy it's like you know it's a grind yeah so that's what I'm saying like once he gets a little later in his career and he's he's going to championships and he's going again to the Eastern Conference Finals and he's making it routine his body is going to be like I am tired and like you wonder you know that's what I think LeBron this year has done such a great job of just managing his body and like he's just like you know it looks like I'm moving at half speed but I don't need to move at full speed to still be like an all, like one of the best three players in the league, yeah. right? It's just insane. So he's on the trajectory now. We'll see how long he can yeah. sustain that, that it's burst It's a lot here, of so. time to go. Uh, in other news, Chris Paul uh, was asked about his contract, whether or not he would opt in or opt out to uh, – if he opts out of this contract, it kind of helps facilitate a trade. He can go yeah. to a super team. There's a team in L.A. that kind of needs a point guard. Yeah. Um, but he says, no, I'm not going to opt out of this contract. And honestly, I wouldn't either if I was due $44.2 million mm-hmm. in 21-22. We talked last week about Oklahoma City's rebuild, uh, and it's kind of this unstoppable force, and it's about to hit this immovable $44 million object. Uh, does this kind of derail the chances they have? Have of kind of rebuilding a, a, a contending team there. No. I, Oklahoma City's in such a good spot right now. They're pretty much where the Spurs are, only in a better place. Yeah. Like, the Oklahoma City, ha- they're going to have a, a, a major veteran asset in Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, Gallinari's going to be gone after this season, so that money's going to come off the books. They have SGA, who is one of the rising stars in the league. He's been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, they they absolutely need wings. Yeah. But it um, doesn't matter. They, they got all these draft picks, 
And even if they had to dump off Paul, they got all these draft picks to help dump off Paul. I mean, you know, if there's a team looking to tank, they'll take Paul. Like, that's not a worry. But right now, what's wrong with Oklahoma City rebuilding and paying a dude? You know, like, who who cares if he's the one dude that gets paid? And by the time his contract's up, they'll pay SGA. Somebody else might emerge um, as in these draft picks that we don't know about. And life moves on. So their rebuilding process is great. Like, having Chris Paul, you know, doesn't affect things if they were a contender it might yeah but for them they can they can pay him like they should be eating those contracts right if you're rebuilding you're eating contracts so you got to pay someone the money's going to somebody yeah and there's not a better person at his age to make 44 million dollars yeah. he's a guy who is uh just one of the smartest guys in the league yeah. it's kind of been one of his and, you know, assets that people praise all the time and you know uh he's gotten a lot of buzz here for all-star game uh I was someone that last week I didn't know if Chris Paul would be in that discussion because the stats aren't necessarily there. But after hearing more and more um, national writers and um, just everybody kind of go back and forth, everyone's giving Chris Paul the praise that he deserves, and I totally understand it. And his fourth quarter performances is clutch gene, if you will, has been one of the best in the league. So, um, you know, he – probably is going to get there in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that's kind of hurt Paul in the, the last few years when he was with the Rockets is the second half of the season. Uh, he's a guy who's never been able to play, you know, a full season in the yeah. last three years. There's always an injury. And then the playoff comes around. He's a little worn down. But again, they're not trying to contend. They're not pushing for a championship right now. Uh, I, I mean, I they're like I, the Clippers from last year. Yeah. A great story. And they're going to make the playoffs and they're not going to win a championship. But who cares? Like the, the fan base is probably super stoked to have that team yeah. versus the one they have with Paul. Paul George and Russell Westbrook, which was super underwhelming and just never met expectations. So we have to talk about his uh, former teammate, James Harden, because this week he missed 16 three-pointers in a game, Mm -hmm. which is just... What? I mean, and so I just want to break down the list of players who have missed 16 three-pointers in a game. And this is in the history (laughs) of the NBA. It's James Harden, January 20th. James Harden, January 8th. James Harden, December 2019. James Harden, October 2019. James Harden, March 2019, James Harden, January 2019, and then Damon Stoudemire, April 2005. Oh. So at some point in time, does he need to pass Damn. the ball? If he's in the 1-17 one, one stretch, do you pass? No, because no. The, the pro- that's why people hate watching the Rockets. <laughs> you know, like it just – it is what it is. Like they, they, they run their offense through James Harden, yeah. through good and through bad. And just because he has – one, you know, I mean, what is that? Five times you listed? Yeah, six. And I think. six, you know, in his career, you know, um, it, it's going to happen. He's going to have off nights. He's human, yeah. and he's the ball's not going to go in. But you know, you you don't deviate from the plan. The plan is. James Harden's our guy. We run the entire team through him, and more often than not, he's going to lead us to victory. And you just take the L's when you get them. So it is what it is. And at some point, the Rockets are going to have to come to this decision of whether what they're doing is right and if they need to restructure, rebuild, rethink what they're doing. Because uh, last year, I thought they got too much blame. I mean, they ran into the Warriors in the second round. Like, everyone was like, oh, the Rockets didn't even make it past the second round. I mean, just because they had such a bad start to the season, they had a a bad seed, which led into a quirky spot where they were going to face the Warriors out of the gates or in the second round, round, which could have easily been the Western Conference Finals. So, like, I hated how that mindset was like, they lost in the second round. No, they lost to the Warriors. So, like, don't use the second round as your – narrative used the warriors as it and it's like but if you can't this is why this year there are no warriors yeah you have the lakers darn good team you have the clippers pretty good team the nuggets decent team but these aren't the warriors yeah so if you can't win this year 
you have to think about is what you're doing right. Yeah, this is the best chance they've had in the James Harden, Mike, Mike D'Antoni era yeah. to go out and do that. And maybe Russell Westbrook puts it together. Uh, he's had a couple yeah. of games where he's gone ice cold in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. uh, and that hasn't helped their chances. Eventually, he's going to find his shot. Yeah, I mean, at some point in time. An- uh, another team that needs best. to figure out what they're doing is the Trailblazers. Yeah. You know, it's unfortunate they lost Nurk, and it's unfortunate then they lost Zach Collins. Um, Bazemore was a, a terrible addition. Yeah. Didn't do anything, and now they're trying to get under the luxury tax to try to, you know, hey, if we're not going to make the playoffs, I'd rather not pay all this money. Yeah, so, Hassan Whiteside might be on the move there. Yeah, you know? Whiteside probably is going to be. I don't think he has put up great numbers himself, but I don't know if he helps to the cause. Yeah. Lillard is having like such an unbelievable year and it's going nowhere at what point do you say Lillard and McCollum are not working out yeah I mean it's got to be soon I mean the window is closing on those two players and I mean you've done everything you can do yeah you've given it the good old college try last year was their best year they made it to the Western Conference Finals there was a lot to build on and now this year they just took a big old step back you know they didn't have Nurk during the end of that run either yeah I just Sometimes Batman needs to go without Robin, I think. so. <laughs> but that was, I mean, what Lillard did, the 61 points yeah. uh, against the Warriors, right? I when, mean, they, they should have lost that game. And When he's got his shot going, I don't know if there's any player that could be more dangerous playing right now. Obviously Curry when he's healthy, but he's probably the most dangerous player in the league right now. You know, and, and that's what um, – sorry, I'm putting something down. Um, <laughs> and that's the whole thing with, like, we were talking about Zion. Like, sometimes in the NBA, when you have superstar-type talents – superstars act like superstars and no matter what defense you run out there you're screwed (laughs) like it just sometimes players take over games as spurs fans here in san antonio you get to watch lamarcus aldridge have these games where he just randomly hits every single shot and you're like oh this is great and damar has those games too and he's been having more recently um there's a reason why they've been all-stars multiple times. Yeah. Uh, it remains to be seen if they can make a playoff push. I think they're one of those teams that's on the bubble. No one in the Western Conference has taken that eighth seed. Maybe it's Portland. If, if Nurt can come back, who knows? Um, yeah, they're in the running, for sure. And if not, you know, there's plenty of teams who have expressed interest in Hassan Whiteside, which brings us to what drives us batty <laughs> this week. Every week we kind of address something that's, you know, mm-hmm. drive us a little nuts or something we take way too much of a deep dive into. Um in the last, I don't know, couple months, maybe maybe since back to the summer, a lot of teams have expressed interest in DeMar DeRozan or LaMarcus Aldridge or Lonnie Walker mm-hmm. or any of these Spurs players. Um, what is it about the expressed interest phase? Here? Yeah, I'm so. so sick and tired. Like, expressed interest is, like, the laziest term ever, yeah. you know? We were talking about this earlier in the week. Like, you know, I expressed interest in getting McDonald's today, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I'm running to get a Big Mac. Yeah. You know, it's like GMs, are general managers for a reason. They make calls to just inquire, see where your head's at. And just because the Spurs accept a call does not mean that they're going to do a deal. It's like, it just, it's standard protocol. Like, I don't, I don't get it. It's like, when you go look at an apartment, do you sign a dotted line because you looked at some pictures online? Or do you call them up, say, hey, can I come in for a visit? You look around and then sometimes you say, yeah, not for me. Yeah. You know, like you call or you call about the price and it's like, whoop, that's out of my league. It's just like, Everyone, I can name a thousand examples in life where we do our due diligence before we make decisions. That is all this is. So I don't care what the Magic say, the Hawks say, the Heat, uh, anybody from the East, honestly, because the Spurs are so stubborn, they won't trade with the yeah. West. They are like vehemently the leaders in stubbornness. I will give Pop and company that. They stick to it. I mean, even going back to the Kawhi stuff, it's like, oh, you don't want to be with us? 
Your ass going to Canada. Yeah, <laughs> going to sunny Los Angeles. Go freeze in Toronto there. So, um, you know, the, express inter- the, the real discussion that also drives me batty is like, the Spurs are in such a what the heck do we do yeah. with DeMar? It, like, they are at the point of no return. Things are starting to click at, like, the wrong time for the trade market because, like, DeMar's value is great. Don't yeah. get me wrong. If they want to deal him, they'll get something good. But um, with DeMar and LaMarcus, they finally have cracked the code after a year and a half of, like, oh, so this is how both of them are going to coexist. Now, the issue he and, – and I will say with the um, – the net ratings during these past 15 games when they kind of have unlocked the code, DeMar has a positive net rating. Overall, he has a negative net rating because of everything from early in the season. That he's November run, he's yeah. going to be a bad defender, uh, and that's not going to change, and it's only going to get worse over time. And his offensive prowess is probably not going to be the same in a couple of years too. Just w- I don't know. I have not figured out what the right move is with DeMar DeRozan. He is at such a... He's like, he's still got a couple good years left in him. How much do I want to commit to him? How much do I want to pay to him? And am I willing to go down this road for another two to three years and see it? Because you have to commit to it. If you're going to do it, you probably need to extend LaMarcus the same amount of time and say, you know what? DeMar and LaMarcus, you're a guy's. Derek, DeJounte, you're also our guys. Pirtle, we're going to grab you in the offseason. We're going to let some other things go and just see how it all shakes out because I just, I don't know. I just, I'm really just so confused on on what you do. They're running out of time, too. The trade deadline's weeks away, and I don't see them parting with either either of these guys. If they're sitting in the eighth seed, you're not going to trade these guys. Especially on the the upward trajectory. Yeah, exactly. The rodeo road trip might change some things. Look, the rodeo road trip's going to be bad. I'm telling you right now. I don't know what bad's going to be. You know, there's the the there's the worst case scenario, which is losing all the games, yeah. which is feasibly possible. There's <laughs> we came dangerously close last year. Last year, you guys took one. Uh, I think from the rodeo road trip, you really just cross some fingers. Like if you get three, it's like we really we got out of there yeah, yeah. with uh you know uh, luckily, but uh, just look, I can if you if you gave me like. Uh, a pro DeMar LaMarcus trade and a pro let's keep him, I would literally go back and forth being like, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. no, uh, you bring up a good point. I agree with you there. I'm sure there's people in the Spurs front office offering both those point of views, and I'm sure maybe they're going back and forth. Maybe there's just resolve. Maybe the resolute, uh, yeah. like you mentioned, that this is a team that kind of has that kind of stick-in-the-mud stubbornness, that kind of mentality about them. I don't know how true that is. If we look at the last 30 years, Trades have increased exponentially for this team. Uh, going back to 1993, they trade Sean Elliott to the Pistons for Dennis Rodman. In 94, they trade Bill Curley to the Pistons to get Sean Elliott back. Mm-hmm. 2002, Antonio Daniels and a few others were traded to Portland for Steve Kerr. 2005, Malik Rose to the Knicks. 11 is the George Hill trade in which Kawhi, the pick, comes into them. And then in 2018, is Kawhi and Danny to the Raptors. And 2019, is Bertans to the Wizards. So, I mean, in the last 10 years, they've started making more trades than they had in the last yeah, they had 30. Yeah, the Austin Day one. Austin in Day one yeah. as well, too, in the last uh, five years. Yeah, so, um, look, they, they've... I mean, it's still like they've made trades. They haven't. They didn't have to make trades because of who they had, you know. And now they're at a different point in their lives where they have to think about it a bit more to kind of shape the roster because it's not bulletproof with Tim Tony Manu manning the group and just figuring out. Yeah. Here's a piece. There's a piece. Pick somebody off free agency and whatnot. Um, uh, look, we, 
we will have time to give this a little bit more thought. But right now, if you told me the deadline was tomorrow, I don't think you trade them. Yeah. I think as sad as that seems, and I know they're not going to win the championship, I know. It just – you have to see it through. You have to see – because you can't just – People like DeMar and LaMarcus don't, and I know LaMarcus is really the, the big free agent splash. Like, you got one, he came here for Kawhi because there was a chance at a championship. Yeah. And, you know, he kind of got screwed there a little bit at the end. And Zaza. he almost, and he almost won. Zaza. And he, yeah, it is. And he, and he almost, you know, won it out and yeah. Pop convinced him to come back in. Uh, nevertheless, if LaMarcus is really going to be this effective three point shooter, it changes the game. Yeah. And if he's open to that, it changes the game. And his longevity in the league, you know, you can maybe commit another three years. All right. So we're going to stay where we are here. That's what the kind of the thought is. See how this progresses to the rodeo road trip. In the meantime, Evan Klosky has expressed interest in wrapping up the podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to draw the line there. We'll be back next week to break down the rodeo road trip as it kind of looms ahead there. Yeah. Uh, and we'll also talk about the other games we were uh, that we we're on the schedule here the Suns again, Raptors again, Bulls and jazz yeah um, I'm, I'm worried let me just quickly say yeah. the scheduling stinks right now because not only are they gonna have the rodeo road trip and it's all clumped together but they also haven't had the two days off in a while yeah. they had to stretch where they had none that was a big eight game slump then they finally got a stretch into some breathing room and then they had a ton of days off in the mist there and now they're right back on on the you play day you travel and you're back and and then they're gonna have to play a game on sunday against the raptors then fly out to chicago Jeez. play the next day just to come back home and play utah it, like a day, like what are you doing? Like why are you doing that to a team? They have, you know, they could not have made the one road game and all this more inconvenient for the team. It is such a random trip to Chicago, and it's a back to back. Nowhere they're going to get up for that game. So you better hope that they they win against Phoenix. Yeah, and, and the Raptors are going to be pissed. So I mean. You just, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, just on paper, this should be a two and two stretch. It's probably going to be one and three. If things go bad, 0 oh and four is on the table there. And if that's the way it goes, we'll break it down for you next week. Mm-hmm. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube now, so hit that subscribe button there and follow along with all the big fun, uh, uh, um, all the big fun pod action there. Uh, and we'll be back next week. Thank you, Evan, for joining us. We're, we'll see, see you later. You.